Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. Well, we don't want to be distracted at Christmas. We want to remember what it's all about. And what's going to help us is going to God's Word. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, one of the many Christmas stories. And let's read together starting in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. When the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I've not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative, Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. Her response, See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Looking past the distractions that are all around us at Christmas time. The true Christmas story reminds us first that heaven has a plan. Heaven always has a plan. Heaven is never without a plan. And you are a part of heaven's wonderful plan. You are a part of the Christmas story. Now, the plan involves the angel Gabriel, not Clarence. Gabriel. It was the sixth month, referring to Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, Mary's relative, six months pregnant with John the Baptist. The angel Gabriel, whose name means God is my strength. What a name, what a reminder. Don't you ever forget that God is your strength. Very important, very powerful angel. How much so? Luke chapter 1 tells us, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. What a privilege. What power this angel has. He does God's bidding. He is God's servant. Now please remember, angels in the Bible are winged warrior worshiping beings. They're not chubby little half-naked cherubs floating on puffy white clouds playing harps all day, people. Just study the scriptures to see what an angel is and what an angel is not. And angels, like Gabriel, are servants of God. Hebrews 1.14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? Anybody here a child of God that's going to inherit salvation? Raise your hand. Do you realize angels have served you? You don't know how. You don't know when. But they have because they serve those who will inherit salvation. So the plan involves the angel Gabriel. The plan also involves this town called Nazareth. To a town in Galilee called Nazareth. Never mentioned in the entire Old Testament this town. 
It's located in the far north, little, tiny, remote, unimportant, off the beaten path, no major roadway to it, no trade routes near it. Very small. Its population, they estimate, would have been 400 to 450 people. What kind of town around us has 400 to 450 people? Well, there's one 17 miles northwest of us called Cainville. That's about 450 people. He is sent to the Cainville of the day. Not the capital, not Jerusalem, not the place of political power or wealth, not to the religious elite. And it would be Nathaniel, one of the 12 disciples, who would cynically say, can anything good come out of Cainville? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And the answer would be a resounding yes. For you need to understand, it's not all about the bright lights of the big city when it comes to God and his work. God does some of his best work in little out-of-the-way places. And don't you ever forget it. So the plan involves Gabriel, the plan involves Nazareth, and the plan involves a woman, a young woman. Her name is Mary. Verse 27. To a virgin, engaged to a man. The virgin's name was Mary. And the very first thing mentioned about this woman is not her name. It's not her engagement. It's her virginity. She's a virgin. She's young. And she's sexually pure. She is the direct fulfillment of the ancient prophecy written 700 years before she lived in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel, the song that we just sung, God with us. The virgin will conceive, the virgin will have a son, the virgin will give birth to this child, God with us. You must understand the significance of the virgin birth. You must feel the weight of the importance of the virgin birth. Without the virgin birth of Christ, there is no salvation. Without the virgin birth of Christ, there is no forgiveness of your sins. Without the virgin birth, there is no heaven, there is no eternal life, there is no hope. Why? Because without the virgin birth of Christ, there is no sinless sacrifice. There's no acceptable payment on the cross for my sin and your sin. There's no perfect mediator between God and man. There's no intercessor. We are not saved by the virgin birth, but there is no salvation without the virgin birth. This is a core doctrine of the Christian faith. This is foundational to who we are as children of God. Take away the virgin birth and you take away salvation. Take away the virgin birth and you take away forgiveness of your sins. Take away the virgin birth, you take away heaven and you're not going there. That's how important the virgin birth is. See, there is only one way that God could save us and save this world from our sin. A sacrifice had to be made for our sins. And it had to be a human sacrifice because we are human. Someone like us, human, mankind, had to die for us. But it had to be someone sinless. It had to be a sinless sacrifice. There is no human who is sinless who could take my place. God would become a man, born of a baby, born to die as a sinless sacrifice to save you from your sin. Merry Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. Do you understand what God did? God looked down upon this planet, this cesspool of sin. That's where we live, in a cesspool of sin. This planet, 
filled with lies and deceit and cheating and stealing and lust and sexual immorality and perversion and greed and arrogance and, pr- and pride and self-pity and slander and gossip and manipulation and, and, and hatred and bitterness and murder and abuse and envy and covetousness. That's the world in which we live. It's a cesspool. That's where you live, that's where you work, that's where we play, and we've never known anything else but this cesspool of this planet with all of its sin. And it's foul, and it's disgusting, and it's gross, and it's repulsive, especially to a thrice holy, holy, holy God who reigns on high in splendor and majesty and the purity of heaven. Do you get it? Christmas is the celebration of God diving into our cesspool, looking down from heaven and taking the plunge into this planet. That's what Christmas is all about. He came from pure, perfect perfection to save you, to save us as we were drowning in our sin. God became a man to die for us, to become the perfect sinless sacrifice. Merry Christmas. That's the message of Christmas. What a God we serve. What a Savior we have. What a lifeguard we worship. God diving into this cesspool of this world and this society and this culture and this planet to save the likes of us. See, God has a plan. And you are part of it. You're part of the Christmas story. He came to rescue you, and if you have not been rescued yet, call out to the lifeguard. Call out to the one who was born a man, God who became a man, to die on the cross. Call out to him to save you from your sin, and he will save you. And finally, come to understand what Christmas is all about. God and sinners reconciled. That's Jesus. That's Christmas. The plan involves Gabriel and Nazareth, the Virgin Mary. The plan also involves a man named Joseph. She's engaged to a man named Joseph, verse 27, of the house of David. Joseph means God shall add, and boy did he ever. And not only was Jesus pure and sinless, but he would also be of royal birth. Joseph, it says, of the house of David. So, Joe was of some serious pedigree. The bloodline of the greatest king in the history of Israel runs through his vein. The bloodline of the greatest warrior and giant killer runs through his veins. The bloodline of this gifted musician, poet, sweet psalmist, and writer of scripture runs through Joseph's veins. Not to mention the wisest king Solomon, whoever lived, runs through his veins. Joseph is of royal lineage. Joseph is of kingly descent. And Jesus would be his legal heir, not his physical heir, his legal heir. For Jesus would be adopted by Joseph. Jesus understands what it means to be adopted. Jesus will be the adopted son of Joseph. And as the adopted son of Joseph, Jesus will have all the legal rights and privileges as a blood son. All of them. We as God's children, are also adopted into the family of God. We have all the rights and privileges of children of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're his. We're part of his family. 
We are true sons of God, true children of God. Look past the distractions of this time of year. Christmas reminds us heaven has a plan. Christmas reminds us godliness matters. So much so, it's mentioned twice. Mary is highly favored. Verse 28, greetings favored woman, the Lord is with you. Verse 30, you have found favor with God. And favor is related to the word for grace. Meaning God's grace is upon you. God's highest approval is upon you. God's hand of blessing, Mary, is upon you. Please understand something important here. Just because Mary is highly favored does not mean we worship Mary. Just because she's highly favored does not mean we pray to Mary. Mary was the recipient of God's grace. She is not the dispenser of God's grace. That is Jesus. We don't worship Mary. First two commands of the top ten. We don't have other gods besides me, God said. You don't make an idol for yourself. You don't bow down and worship them in Exodus chapter 20. We worship God and God alone. And we don't pray to Mary. Why? Jesus told us who to pray to. Matthew 6, therefore you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven. Who do we pray to? Tell me. Our Father in heaven. Nowhere in scripture are we ever instructed anywhere to pray to a saint or to pray to Mary. We pray to our Father. We don't see Mary or any other saint as a mediator between us and God. There's only one mediator, 1 Timothy. There's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man who? Christ Jesus. He's the only mediator. He's the one born perfect. He's the one that died for our sins and rose again. And he gave himself as a ransom for all, testimony at the proper time. Now, Mary is incredibly special. And she is privileged more than any woman in the history of the world. But she is not God. And she's not the queen of heaven. And she's not sinless. She knows she's a sinner. For in just a few verses later, in Luke 1, 46, she will say this. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God who? My Savior. Who needs a Savior? A sinner does. She knows she's a sinner and she rejoices in God, her Savior. Because he's looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. So she not only calls herself a sinner in need of a Savior, she also calls herself a humble servant. Why is God's favor upon this woman in this way? She's a woman of God. She is pure and purity finds favor in the eyes of God. She is humble and humility finds favor in the eyes of God. She is a servant. And having a servant heart finds favor in the eyes of God. And she is submissive. Having a submissive spirit finds favor in the eyes of God. Please understand. You, could, you too can have the favor of God upon your life. His favor can rest on you. His approval. His demonstrated delight can rest on you. How? Isaiah 66. This is the Lord's declaration. I will look favorably on this kind of person. One who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. If you want the favor of God in your life, be humble. Be submissive towards your God. And tremble at his word. Love his word. Obey his word. Follow his word. Psalm 5. For you, Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround him with favor like a shield. Now, living righteously and being a good person doesn't get us to heaven. That's through Jesus and Jesus alone. 
But God's favor rests upon those who are righteous and humble and tremble at his word. The favor has everything to do, the favor of God has everything to do with righteousness and character and a life of integrity and godliness. Notice favor has nothing to do with popularity, beauty, wealth, fame, power, sexual promiscuity or immorality seen as a virtue by many in today's world. And I want you to notice something though. Her sexual purity, her sexual purity is especially highlighted. So much so it's mentioned three times. Verse 27, she's called a virgin twice. Verse 34, some translations call her a virgin. Others say she had no sexual relations. God is making a very strong point for you and for me on the importance of sexual purity in your life and my life. You may say, well, Pastor Scott, I'm not a virgin, I'm not married, and I just blew it. Praise God for his mercy. Praise God for his forgiveness. Praise God for his grace. Do you realize that even in the line of Christ, there are very sexually immoral women? Do you realize in the line of Christ, Rahab the harlot, the prostitute, is in that line? That's God's grace and mercy. Do you realize Tamar is in the line of Christ? She had an incestuous relationship with her father-in-law. She's in the line of Christ. Praise God. You, you, you may be full of shame. Listen, God can forgive any sin. God can save you and show his grace and mercy upon you for any sin. He shows that over and over and over in scripture. But he highlights here the importance of sexual purity. And let me just say this, if you're a virgin, you're a young man or a young woman and you're a virgin, never be ashamed of your sexual purity or virginity. It is a thing of beauty in the eyes of God. Disregard this mocking world, the foolishness of this world. Save yourself for marriage and save yourself for that special man and that special woman. Your virginity is, is prized in the eyes of God. And by the way, sexual purity has always been God's will, period. 1 Thessalonians 4, for this is God's will, your sanctification. What is that? Holiness. That you keep away from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions. Don't give in to lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. 1 Corinthians 6, the body is not for sexual immorality. Don't use it that way. It's for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. And sexual purity is God's will before marriage. Sexual purity is God's will after marriage. Hebrews. Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled. Because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. That's pretty straight up. Now, he will not judge those who've come and asked for forgiveness and repented of our sins and said, Lord, would you forgive me of my sexual immorality? He forgives and he cleanses. But for those who never come to Christ and refuse to humble themselves before God, judgment will fall. It will. Mary is highly favored. Mary is a woman of God and Mary is greatly troubled. 
I mean, she doesn't take the news well. You'd think, favored woman, the Lord is with you. You found favor with God. And she's like, uh, she's troubled, we're told. She's afraid. And, and troubled means she's confused. She's disturbed. What does this all mean? And she's pondering or wondering. This is accountant terminology. It doesn't add up. She's trying to figure it out. She's trying to calculate what this means. And she can't come up with the right answer. And so Gabriel's going to seek to calm her fears. Do not be afraid. He sees, he senses, he knows her fear. And he says, for you have found favor with God. You know what he says? Let God's favor erase your fears. Christian, listen to that. Let God's favor upon you erase your fears. Child of God, there is no reason to fear anyone on this planet. There is no reason to fear anything in your life. There is no need to fear when you rest in the favor of your God upon your life. Look past these distractions. Christmas reminds us heaven has a plan and godliness matters. It also reminds us that Jesus is the reason. Mary is troubled. Mary is afraid. And so now the angel will explain what is soon to take place. And to think you were troubled before, Mary, just listen to this. Now listen, you will conceive. You're going to become pregnant. Get ready. Behold. You're going to have a baby. You're going to carry a child. And you will give birth to a son. You're going to have a baby boy. This is before ultrasound and 3D imaging, people. You're going to become pregnant. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him Jesus. We already have the name. It's been picked out from eternity past. Jesus will be his name. What does Jesus mean? God saves. That's what it means. The Lord is salvation. That's what it means. Deliverer, rescuer, savior is what Jesus means. And Jesus' name is who he is and Jesus' name is what he does. Luke 19. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. That's who Jesus is and that's what he does. He comes to seek and save us. Jesus' name is how we are saved. Romans 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Everyone. Everyone and anyone. It doesn't matter how many sins you've committed. It doesn't matter how bad your sin is. It doesn't matter. You call on the name of Jesus and he will save you from your sins. Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. You don't call on Buddha. You don't call on Muhammad. You don't call on your good works. I'm a good person. You're not getting saved then. You call on Jesus. God, who became a child, who died on the cross to save you from your sins. And he's the only one that can save you. Just call on the name of the Lord. That's Christmas. That's the message of Christmas. Is the message of salvation. There's no other meaning to Christmas. There's no other purpose to this time of year. Jesus is the only reason for Christmas. Merry Christmas, God saves. That's Christmas. And now he describes Jesus. Verse 32. He will be great. The word in the Greek is megas. He will be megas. He will be great. His life will define greatness, unsurpassing, superiority, and preeminence. He is Jesus. He is great. 
He is what Ephesians 1 says about him. Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He is great. Philippians 2. God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is great. Colossians 1. For everything was created by him, that is Jesus. Everything created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is great. He is before all things. He's eternal. And by him all things hold together. He is great. He's also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might become to have first place in what? Everything. He is Megas. He is great. He is Jesus. He's also the Son of the Most High. Gabriel goes on to describe him. He will be called the Son of the Most High, meaning he will be God's Son. He will be divine. He will be the God-man. He will be Emmanuel, God in the flesh. Matthew quoting Isaiah. The virgin will become pregnant, give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Jesus is the perfect combination of full humanity, man, and full deity, God. He's the God-man. John 1. The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh, Emmanuel. And dwelt among us. Philippians 2. Who existing in the form of God. Did not consider equality with God. He is equal with God. As something to be exploited. Instead he emptied himself. Assuming the form of a servant. Taking on the likeness of humanity. He dove into the cesspool of this world. As a human. He is Emmanuel. God with us. Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God. Verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. He is completely 100% God. That is who Jesus is. Hebrews 1.3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. To see Jesus is to see God. To hear Jesus is to hear God. He is great. He is son of the most high. Next we're told in verse 32, he will rule on the throne of David. This was the promise to King David. The prophecy from Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel. Your house to King David and kingdom will endure before me forever. And your throne will be established forever. The promise reiterated in Psalm 89, the Lord said, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn an oath to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build up your throne for all generations. Selah. Selah means pause. Let that sink in. Stop what you're doing and contemplate what was just 
said. That's what Selah means. Don't rush through God's word or truth. Verse 29, I will establish his line forever and his throne as long as heaven lasts. The prophecy of Isaiah in chapter 9, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, he is the God-man. Eternal Father, he is the God-man. Prince of Peace, the dominion will last, will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever, and the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. It's coming. The prophecy will be fulfilled. Jesus is great, the Son of the Most High, ruler of the throne of David, and he will rule and reign forever and ever. That's verse 33. His reign over the, he will reign over the house of Jacob, meaning standing for the nation of Israel forever, and his kingdom will have no end. This is the truth of Jeremiah 33. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration when I will fulfill the pro- good promise that I've spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to sprout up for David, out of the line of David. He will administer justice and righteousness in the land. Verse 17, for this is what the Lord says, David will never fail to have a man sitting on the throne of his house, of the house of Israel. Verse 20, this is what the Lord says, if you can break my covenant, God says, If you could break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so the day and night cease to come at their regular time, then also my covenant with my servant David may be broken. If that could happen, then he would not have a son reigning on his throne. So God says this, tomorrow morning you just try to stop the sun from rising. You just try. My promise is good. David's heir is going to rule and he's going to reign forever and ever. And his kingdom will have no end. This woman right here reigned for quite a while, Queen Elizabeth. She came to the throne at age 25. She died at age 96. 70 years and 214 days she reigned as the Queen of England. 70 years is a long time to reign. That is a drop in the bucket to forever and eternity. You have a king of all kings and of Lord of all lords who is going to reign forever and ever, and ever. Daniel 7. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man, Jesus, was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, the Father, was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Now, Right now, we celebrate the first advent, the first coming of Jesus, Christmas. One day, we will behold his second advent, his second coming. We await the rule and reign of Jesus. Revelation 11. The seventh angel blew his trumpet. There were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. We await the angelic trumpet, people. We await the loud voices in heaven. We await the rule and reign of the King of kings and Lord of lords who will reign forever and ever and ever. That is what we await now. And there is absolute certainty, Luke chapter 1. 
He will reign. He will, uh, he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Come, Lord Jesus. Come and make it so. Come and rule and reign as our King of kings and Lord of lords forever. We are tired of earthly rulers. We are tired of fallen sinful men being elected or coming to power in this nation and every nation on this planet. Amen. We are tired of the cesspool of sin in this world. Come, Lord Jesus. We are ready for your all-powerful, wise, benevolent rule and reign. Come, Lord Jesus. Look past the distractions. Christmas reminds us of these truths. Next, that nothing is impossible with God. Now, Mary asks a very good question. Verse 34. How can this be? How am I going to get pregnant? How am I going to have a child? I've not had sexual relations with a man. This, this is impossible. This is impossible. I'm a virgin. I know the birds and bees. I've never been with a guy. There's no such thing as a pregnant virgin. It's like me asking you, hey, would you hand me that square circle? Would you hand me that square circle? Oh, what are you talking about, Pastor? There's no such thing as square circle. There's no such thing as a pregnant virgin. Gabriel, after this good question, has some incredible news and an answer. He says in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. There's no sexual immorality. There's no perversion. The Holy Spirit is God. And he is physical. He's a spirit. He does not have a body. He is spirit and he is holy. And so this is an act of holiness. And this is an act of power. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So this is beyond comprehension power. This is Most High power. This is overshadowing power. This is God creating power. And the Holy Spirit is an agent of creation. We see it in Genesis 1. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And so the Holy Spirit would hover over Mary, cover Mary, overshadow the womb of this virgin and create life, a baby. Hebrews 10. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. The presence of God as a cloud, the Shekinah glory entering into the holy of holies in the temple would come and cover and fill the womb of this virgin. And the Son of God would take on flesh. And the Son of God would become human. And the Holy Spirit guaranteed that this would be a holy child, verse 35. The holy one to be born will be called the Son of God. And so Jesus is holy. And Jesus is sinless. Jesus has no sin nature. Jesus is the only child ever to be born, any human ever to be born without sin. Now I know some of you grandparents here think your grandkids are pretty special. They're still rotten little sinners, just like their parents and just like their grandparents. We're all born in sin. From the time of conception, we have all been sinful on this sinful planet. Psalm 51, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. 
I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Jesus is the Son of God, no ordinary child, an extraordinary child. He is fully human. He is fully God. He is man. He is divine. Do you understand what God did to save you? Just try to grasp the lengths that God went to to save you from your sin. Just try to fathom it. Just bask in it. Do you understand? He dove out of heaven as perfect sinless God into into this cesspool of humanity. To be born a man, to die for your sin, to save you from your sin. This is how special you are in his eyes. This is how much God loves you. That he just wouldn't flush you away and this whole world with it. That he would come to rescue you and become like one of us to save us. And here's an amazing thing. When he became a man, when God became a man, it was permanent. He will now forever and all eternity be human. Just like us. So he knows us. He understands you. He gets you. He is one of us. God is one of us. He's Emmanuel. Merry Christmas. And remember, this is the only way you could be saved from your sin. It's the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Jesus became our perfect substitute. Human and sinless. Fully God and fully man. And then there's just some added encouragement. I just love how God does this for Mary in verse 36. Look at verse 36. Gabriel says kind of one-off, hey, consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she's conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who is called childless. Uh, Don't forget, Mary, you have a relative. Her name is Elizabeth. And she was old and barren and childless and past childbearing years. Oh, and by the way, God did a miracle in her life. She's six months pregnant. So one who is old and barren conceives, and one who is young and a virgin conceives. And how good is God to give Mary a friend and a relative who's going to understand Mary, who's going to believe Mary, who's going to encourage Mary and be there for Mary when many are not going to be there. And many are not going to understand her. Please understand God does the same thing for us. Just look around. There'll be somebody going through or has gone through something similar that you've gone through. And God will provide a friend for you who believes in you. Who will pray for you. Who will encourage you. Who will be there for you when no one else is there for you. And by the way, be somebody else's Elizabeth when they're going through a difficult time in their life, be somebody else's Elizabeth. Believe in them. Encourage them. Be there for them. When others have abandoned them and others have deserted them, be somebody else's Elizabeth. And and God allows us to face things in our life so that we can then turn it into ministry in other people's lives. So the things that you are going through right now that are blessings or that are very difficult to go through. God wants you to use those things to be an Elizabeth to somebody else. Don't just keep that to yourself. 
use it to minister and serve other people and encourage them wherever they are. And then the angel's exclamation point in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. And I love this quote. The laws of nature are not change which the divine legislator has laid upon himself. They are threads which he holds in his hand and which he shortens or lengthens at will. Others beside Mary have had to learn that nothing is impossible with God. It was Abraham who had to learn this in Genesis 18. He was told, is anything impossible for the Lord? And the answer is a resounding no. It was Job that would learn this in Job 42. Job would reply, I know that you can do anything. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Jeremiah had to learn it in chapter 32. Oh Lord God, you yourself made the heavens and the earth by your great power and with your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. The disciples had to learn it. In Matthew, we're told, Jesus looked at them and said, With men, this is man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. All through the ages, God's people have had to learn this. Nothing is impossible with God, and you have to learn it too. And I have to learn it too. Your marriage is not impossible. All things are possible. Your health condition is not impossible. All things are possible with God. Your financial situation is not impossible. All things are possible with God. Your health diagnosis is not impossible. All things are possible with God. It comes down to what his will is. Whether it's his will or not, it is not about being impossible. All things are possible with God. Look past the distractions. Christmas reminds us that heaven is a plan and godliness matters and Jesus is the reason and nothing is impossible. And lastly, we're reminded that full submission is my gift to God. And we see Mary's incredible response. Look at verse 38. After receiving all of this mind-boggling news, this is her response. See, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you have said. Immediate submission. There's no hesitation. There's no, hey, Gabriel, let me talk this over with Joe and I'll get back to you. Let me consult my parents. You know, I'm still under their roof. There's no, I'm going to pray about this and in three days I'll give you an answer. There's no, Gabriel, listen, time out. I need a deeper theological understanding of what the Holy Spirit overshadowing me really means. And I'd also like the day and time it happens because I got a busy calendar and I need to put it on there. Or there's no, what's in it for me? Is there an endorsement book deal, a signing bonus? What's in this for? None of that. It's immediate submission. God's will be done, God's word be done. Look what she says. May it happen to me as you have said. No fighting, no questioning, no overthinking it. God's will be done. As you have said, God's word be done. God's will is always found in God's word. God, your will be done. God, your word be done in my life. Is that your response? God, whatever your word says, I'm good with it. No arguing with it. No fighting his will or word. No hesitation. God, you've said it. God, I will do it. I will trust you, God. Where have you been hesitating? Where have you been doubting? 
Where have you been saying, well, but other people have said this? Doesn't matter what anybody else says. What does God say? God, your will be done. That's your Christmas gift to God. That's your gift to him every single day. And some of you know what God has been saying through his word, and you have not been doing it. Be careful. Let Mary be your example, not this world. Don't go back to your sinfulness. Go back to what is right in the eyes of God, not as what is right in the eyes of man. He knows best, even when we don't understand. Go back to Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. You're not going to be able to figure it all out. In all your ways, know him, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths what? Straight. Even if they don't look straight, even if it doesn't look like it's going to be straight, God will take care of it. Trust him. And that's how we're supposed to pray. In Matthew 6, he taught us to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I want you to understand what Mary must be wrestling with here and what she will soon wrestle with in life. Following God's will and following God's word. In doing that, she is going to face criticisms. She is sure to face accusations. Mary will be a pregnant teenager out of wedlock in a very conservative religious community. Oh, and by the way, she will face a broken-hearted, devastated fiancé whose world was just shattered when he gets the news. She's going to face deeply disappointed parents who will not understand, what in the world did you do, woman? The shame you've brought to our family. She's going to face the town gossips talking behind her back and sharing, did you hear about that? She's going to face the condescending glares and turned up noses of the religious elite in her community. She's going to face the false accusations about her sexual immorality. And there is no sexual immorality. She's pure. She's a virgin. The favor of God is upon her life. I want you to get this. Oftentimes, doing the will of God is not easy. Do it anyway. Oftentimes, doing the will of God is hard. Do it anyway. Oftentimes, doing the will of God will upset other people around you, family and friends and children and grandchildren or parents. Do it anyway. You are not here to please people. You are here to please God. Learn that from Mary. I am not here to please people. I'm here to please you. I am your servant. Focus on pleasing your heavenly father and your God, not people. And leave the consequences of your obedience in the hands of God. Trust God to protect you and vindicate you. Leave it in his hands. And Gabriel's job is done. The angel leaves. The message is delivered. The message is received. The plan of God is in action. And next week... We get to see the fulfillment and watch the baby be born. Look past the distractions. Christmas reminds me, let's say it together. Heaven has a plan. Godliness matters. Jesus is the reason. Nothing is impossible with God. And full submission is the gift of God. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As a believer in Jesus, would you just worship your Savior right now?
Would you thank him, God, for becoming a man to rescue you from your sin? Thank him for Christmas. Thank you. Thank him for his love. Thank him. Worship him. Child of God, where do you need to fully submit? What do you need to surrender to him right now? Do it. No matter how hard it is, no matter what others might say, seek the pleasure of your God, not that of people of this world. Make that commitment now. Confess any sin that you need to confess. Ask for his mercy, ask for his grace, ask for his forgiveness. He will grant it. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You may be here today and you've never come to faith in Jesus. Right here and right now, whether you're online or in person, you can be saved from your sin. Call out, call on the name of Jesus right now. Use words like these, Lord Jesus, I need you. Just say those words in the sincerity of your heart to him. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you please save me from my sin? Thank you for being born. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me. Lord, I place my faith in you alone. I can't save myself. Would you please forgive me? Would you please save me? And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest's new beginnings, visit at harvest.church.